So praise God. It's uh, Wednesday. It is time for Bible study, the book of Daniel, part 3. Let's begin in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for the opportunity again to go into your word as we look at chapter 3 of Daniel. Lord, open our eyes to see your ears, to hear our heart, to receive what you have for us. Lord, application, Lord. God, what are you doing here? What do we need to know? Uh, how do we appropriate this in our lives, Lord, in our community, in our church? Lord, so I thank you for those that are here, those that are on the way, those that couldn't make it, Lord, those that are on vacation. Lord, those that are hearing by podcast, we just thank you that uh, you're with all of us in this. We just give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, I made a little mistake last week, and it's hard to believe. But on your your outline, I said it's going to be the lion's den this week. No, that's in two weeks. It's the furnace <laughs> this week. So that was just a little thing I, I realized I said last week. I put it on the bottom of your notes. But we're going to be in this uh, Daniel chapter 3 tonight. And it's kind of an interesting thing. So as we look at this again, look at what is God doing? What's being revealed about God? Uh, what... Does it apply to us personally? How does it apply to the church? And does any of this speak to what we're going through in our country today? I mean, just just kind of think about it. So, Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold the height of which was 60 cubits, and its width 60 cubits, 6 cubits, he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Okay, hold it there. Do we have a problem here? What he's doing is, Daniel, last chapter, he had revealed the dream to him, and he said, Blessed be your God, you know, Almighty, your God. And then now... And then he promotes Daniel. But now here he is. He's making this image of gold. I remember last time in the dream, the image had several different layers. It was gold, silver, bronze, clay, all that. And the top part was gold. And that represented the head. And it represented Nebuchadnezzar in the dream. So now Nebuchadnezzar is making a complete golden image that is 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. Okay? So, this is kind of a reversal from chapter 2, in a sense, that, you know, we think he's acknowledging the God of Israel as supreme, but now here he's doing something a little bit different. And it seems to be that he's centralizing his kingdom around himself and his God. Uh, In other words... Nebuchadnezzar wants to be the whole statue. He had this dream of other kingdoms, and they were different levels, and he was just the head. Now he's making a statue that's all gold. So in a sense, he's saying he wants to be the whole deal. Right? So let's kind of read on and see where so, this goes. So was it an image of him or yeah. of his, it's him. his God? It's, it's going to be of him. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it says, then Nebuchadnezzar, verse 2, the king sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. Then the satraps and the prefects and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the province were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, To you the command is given, O people, nations and men of every language, that at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, the lute, the lyre, the trigon, the psaltery, the bagpipes, all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. So now you have idolatry in a form of perhaps, this isn't necessarily exactly what's going on, but perhaps he's in a sense instituting a new religion 
since gods aren't mentioned, this is he says now this deity, this this golden image, right? Uh, and he has all the government officials there, and they are to. Uh, 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 Verse 5, at the moment that you hear the sound, you're to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. So, uh, idolatry, he's breaking, you know, you shall have no other idols, no gods. You shall not make um, false idols. So, something's going on here with Nebuchadnezzar. He's the king. Big old legal trip. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And now... um, Think about it in terms as we continue to read of 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 what happens in nations and, and and what goes on, you know, when people get control or people want control, right? Mm-hmm. So, verse six to seven. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, at that time. When all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, psaltery, bagpipes, all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. So, it's a call to worship the image, right? He sends a command out. He builds this thing. It's, it's, it's huge. It's gold. It's 90 feet tall. Because uh, again, remember, he was the head of gold. Now this whole thing is gold, and it represents his kingdom. It represents his his uh, who he is, and it's a call to worship the image. But if you don't worship the image, there's a penalty. So, is there freedom here? No. Freedom's taken away. Worship what I command you to worship, or else. There's a penalty. And so when the people hear it, they know that Nebuchadnezzar is probably going to do what he said he's going to do, throw you in the, in, the, in the fiery furnace. So when they hear the thing, everybody bows down, whether they want to or not. We don't know how many people were really saying, oh, this is a good thing, or how many people said, no, this is a bad thing, but we don't want to go into the furnace, so we're going to bow down. So think about that one for a second with nations. We know it's wrong, but we're going to do it anyway because we don't want to suffer the penalty. Mm-hmm. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is just one person. He controls a guard, but nobody here is trying to resist him. So, you know, you can take this several different ways. You can look at it. Um, what's going on here? What are what are we learning here? What is, what is God showing us? Verse 8. I'm going to ask a question here. It says, For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. Now, we know the Jews had a separate worship system. Okay, and I put down there fear. What's going out here is fear. And fear is a weapon that is used to keep people in line. So, Going back to our conversation about wearing of, wearing of masks, just since we, we brought it up. Restaurants and gyms and public places might not necessarily agree with the mask thing, or maybe they do, but a certain segment might not, but they go along with it. Why? Because if they don't, the health department says, we will revoke your health license. There's an issue of fear there. You lose your livelihood. I don't agree with it. I don't think it's right. But they have more control, more power than what I have. Except for what Larry said earlier when we were talking about it. Now some people are getting together and they're going to write and say, can we do something about this? But you don't have this here. You have people falling victim of the fear. Right? To the point that now, if you see somebody else doing something wrong, what do you do? You point the finger, right? What happened in Germany when there were people in Poland where people were, were, were hiding Jews? 
Other people ratted them out, right? Because mm-hmm. they were hiding, whatever. Why? Because they were living in fear. It's like you no longer process right and wrong. It's humanity. You're now you're now processing fear. You're now processing survival. It's a tactic that's been used, and it's right here in in, in Daniel. So, any thoughts, questions on that? It's uh, so when you when you see these tactics and these things being used, realize this has been going on for a long time. You know, in in not to demonize anybody, but I mean, it's just you can kind of see it being used today in Cuba. Today in Cuba. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when Castro took over, I remember that he would take, would march into Catholic churches, Christian churches, to say, we're here to thank God for helping us win the revolution. Yeah. As soon as that, like maybe a month later, he kicked out all the priests, the, the pastors, all the leaders of, of all the, the religions, and the kids were brainwashed in yes. the schools yes. by, they would tell them, close your eyes. Do, do, do you want ice cream? Close your eyes. And pray to God to give you some ice cream. Now open your eyes. Do you see ice cream? No? Now close your eyes. Ask Papa Castro to give you ice cream. And while the kids' eyes were closed, the teachers would be bringing our ice cream. Mm-hmm. Open your eyes. Who is Papa comes to. He's God. Mm-hmm. He's God. The kids would say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that simple. That simple. Yeah, goosebumps. Yeah, it's that simple to do that. And so, when you see when they're trying to now change the educational system to teach different things, it's really not any different. Exactly. Not any different. Exactly. Yeah. And you have the and, and cancel culture going too. Yeah, yeah. And so it's, it's uh, um, again, what is God showing us and what do we learn? Because we're going we're to see more in this, in this particular passage. So, verse 9 to 12. Well, verse 8 for continuity. For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. Now remember the Chaldeans were the magicians from Babylon that Daniel trumped in a sense, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he outdid. And so they probably had a thing against these Jews anyway, right? So verse 9. They responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar of the king, O king, live forever. You yourself, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psaltery, bagpipes, all kinds of music, is to fall down and worship the golden image. Again, you know, golden image, it harks back to Exodus, right? Uh, Verse 11, But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. So he says these guys aren't doing it. And by the way, king, you put them over in charge of a lot of stuff. And so, you know, what they're doing is kind of crafty here. They're going back to the king, repeating word for word what the king has said. In other words, we hear you, O king. We hear and we're following everything you said, but there's others. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're not doing it. By the way, these people are in your administration, O king. So that the idea is that you better get rid of them because they're in your administration. And if others start doing what they're doing, your administration is going to crumble. Mm-hmm. Yes. Remind me who the Chaldeans are. Chaldeans are magicians from Babylon. So they were the ones that weren't able to interpret the dreams. Yes. And they were, so they probably. Yes. Right. So here's a here's you know, they're already out to, to trip up the Jews. So first chance they get. Boom. 
But, you know, they're using the king's words so that the king at this point has, is even if he wanted to let them off or to do, because the, obviously they have favor, right? Because he promoted them. He gave them favor, Daniel and them. By the way, notice Daniel's not in this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah. It's just, it's just those three. So sometimes people think about the furnace, they think Daniel's in the furnace. Daniel's not in this chapter. Okay, so just a thought there. But they're serving their God. They're trusting in their God, right? So, so first fear comes, then conformity. So in other words, the people are fearful. They don't want to be thrown in. And so now what are they doing? They're conforming to what the king has said, and now they'll go out and get other people, right, to conform to what he said, because they're fearful, they don't want to be associated with any of this, or maybe they have, you know, spite in their heart to get to go after whoever. But you, again, you can see this played out on the bigger stage. Again, we were talking about just a, a few minutes ago in Germany. That's what happened. You know, they were, they were turning in people who were just helping other human beings. And so now you're not even looking at human beings anymore. It's, it's almost like you're a commodity. You're, a, you're something to be used for my own personal survival kind of thing. And that, that, that's a danger when you, when you lose the, the humanity of what's going on because we're all created in God's image. We're all human beings, regardless of who we are, where we come from. That's why, you know, again, the Bible, the Bible just lists us as saved and not saved doesn't list us by by uh, uh, you know you know where we were born or our race or whatever there's no salvation or no salvation we hear God didn't hear God respond to God did not respond to God so verse 13 14 then Nebuchadnezzar in a rage he's pissed right he's mad he's he's, he's in a rage Short fuse. Short fuse, yeah, because he's the king. What do you mean? In my administration, even even if he didn't have a clue to what was going on when he hears this, he's the king and he's got to show he's in charge. He's got to show that my word is going to stand up, right? Because if he shows any weakness, kings know that if they show weakness, they can be overthrown. So they have to they have to be strong. That's why kings uh, uh, lead by fear. So then Nebuchadnezzar in a rage and anger gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, "Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you did not that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up?" So in other words, he says, what is this I hear? Is this true? So he's giving them an out. Because remember, they have favor with him. So at this point, they could have said, no, your honor, or they, no, your majesty, you can be the king, live forever. At first we decided, but no, king, we decided to bow down. Because all of a sudden they start thinking about the furnace, and they're called in. So they could have responded to save their necks, right? So how do they respond? Although he's telling, he's asking, is it true that you do not worship my God? He knew that from before, right? When Daniel revealed uh, his dreams. Mm -hmm. So I I don't get it. Maybe he didn't completely trust the magicians and all all those other guys Mm -hmm. because of the episode with the dream. And so that's all held in there. And, uh, uh, um, you know, it puts Nebuchadnezzar in a difficult place, in a sense, because he has shown them favor. Uh, he, he did get from them what he wanted, even though he interpreted what they said wrongly. Because now he's making this image. You would think, when you read chapter 2 and it's over, you think, oh, hey, this guy's conforming to Yahweh. He's going to go. Yeah. He, he doesn't because he's still king, right? So kings do what? What they want to do. You know? 
It's it's like that that line in I'll never forget it. Richard Burton, I think it's an Anne of a Thousand Days, and he says something like, "I'm Richard, King of all England. When I pray, God answers." Mm. Boo. Mm. When I pray, God answers because I'm King of all England. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> so uh, here's the response: fifteen and sixteen. It says, now, if you are ready at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigons, the solitude, the bagpipe, kinds of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made very well. So again, he's giving them the opportunity, right? Very well. But if you will not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. In other words, they were already prepared with their answer. They didn't have to weigh this. But notice what he, what he says. You know, they have, conf- they have confidence in God, but look at what Nebuchadnezzar says. There is no God who can deliver you out of my hand. So he's thinking, okay, yeah, I got the interpretation of the dream. That was all good and great. But me and my gods are still controlling the situation. Right? And so uh, uh, this is what's going on here. Uh, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't say, uh, we need to confer with Daniel. <laughs> Hold on. Let's see what Brother Daniel has to say. They're already ready. Right? So Verse 17 and 18. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve other gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Ooh. They're saying is we're in God's hands. Whether he delivers us or he doesn't deliver us, it's it's you know, it's what they used to call the providence of God. God's going to do what God is going to do, and be conformed and allow God to be God to do what God is going to do. And this is what they're saying there, that however God chooses to do this, we know that if we're consumed, we're still going to end up in a good place. If we don't, you know, I mean, and, and, and if he does deliver us out of that, then, you know, he delivers and he chooses to do that. So think of this in terms of Christianity today. Think, think of this in terms of prayer. Think, this, think of this in terms of answer to prayer, uh, how we approach God, you know, because it's like we approach God wanting the best or wanting whatever, but at the end of the day, we have to ask the question, and then when we get the answer, what is God doing? We have to follow what God is doing, right? What is God doing? Because we don't know the big picture. Only God knows the big picture, right? Thoughts, questions? We're going to, whatever, you know, whatever God chooses to do, we accept. And so we'll follow our God, we're not going to follow other gods because it's convenient. And again, for the church, we're not going to follow other doctrines. We're not going to follow because it's convenient. Because it gives us maybe favor to do this or favor to do that. No, we have to stay true, and this is faith in action. We have to stay true to the God that we know. And again, this is orthodoxy. You know, landing on the right side of Scripture, which the intent of Scripture, we have to follow God, right? There's there. That's a non-negotiable. We have to follow God. So, faith in action, and it's 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 a tough one, but I think this is from the Book of Steve. What makes this? easier for them to respond quickly is they were already serving God before they had to make this decision. Sometimes people don't make that decision to go with God until they're faced with a life-threatening decision. And then all of a sudden you got to figure out 
I think I'll go with God, it might work out. But is that really conversion? You know, or is that just, you know, but see, their hearts, minds, so they're already made up. Is there, no, no, we don't, we don't have to confer. We'll give you our answer right now. We're not, we're, we're not, we're not going to serve you. We're not going to do that. Even though you've given us favor, even though you've done this, following God was more important than following false gods or humans. Strong statement on, on, on their behalf. And again, Daniel's supposed to be the star of the book, but right here, these guys... These guys hijacked the book, man. Yeah. <laughs> They're, you know. Any thoughts, questions before we go to the furnace? Okay. Verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar filled with wrath. Okay. And it says, and his facial expression was altered. <laughs> so, you know, before he was really mad, he was really angry. You know, he was incensed with what was going on. Now... He's got to get even. Because what did they do? They rebuked him. They rebuked everything that he stood for. And then he's probably even thinking, you guys, you know, I ransacked your country, took everything out of your country, brought you over here, and because, you know, I thought you guys had something going for you, you know, I gave you favor, I put you in my administration, and now you treat me like this? So in his eyes, he's all-powerful. Okay, what do people in control think? They are all-powerful. And so when they don't get their way, so here's, here's a little a side trip. Control only answers to control. In other words, if someone... If someone is in control... The boss and the worker, and the boss says, do it this way, what does the boss expect? You to do it this way. He's not asking you, he's telling you. And so, if you say no, then what happens? You're gone. Because he has control. Right? So the one that has control, they don't want your opinion. They don't want they just want you to conform to control. So if if it's the other way around now, that you have, for whatever reason, maybe you've been promoted above the boss. And you say now you're above him, and he says no. Who's going to go? This guy. Because now you're in control. And see, this is where controlling people, When in, in this is just a little side note, controlling people, and we all know controlling people, some of them are here, you're here and they're here, but they think they have control, and they fight you tooth and nail because they want control. And the only, the only thing they're going to respond to is you saying, Okay. As long as you resist, they're not going to have a good day. So control only responds to control. So here, Mr. Controller, Nebuchadnezzar, is filled with wrath, and his facial expression was altered toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. Now, these furnaces were huge. They used them for a lot of different reasons. Um, but they were basically uh, kind of like this with the opening sort of here where you can put stuff in here and then this act is the tunnel for the heat to rise here and you could put stuff in here or you had steps leading up here and you could throw stuff down in that way but these were big masonry furnaces so he orders this thing to be seven times more. So now realize that the heat that's generated up here, as heat rises, is seven times more than what would normally be up here. Right? So it's like, I don't know if you've ever been around a, a raging fire or something that's very intense. You can really f feel that heat even from a distance. 
you can you can just feel the the presence of that of that heat. So, uh, order the heat furnace sometimes more than it's usually heated. Verse twenty, and he commanded certain valet warriors who were in the army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace, a blazing fire. Normally, when they would kill somebody that way, they would strip them of their clothes and they would they would throw them in. These guys, they wanted to do it in such a hurry, they just bound them up. I mean, he's so mad at them. Tie them up, get them in that furnace. Because he's got to make, other people are watching, right? He's got to make a point. He's got to maintain his control here. Then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, their other clothes, and were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. So they were thrown, walked up here, thrown down in. Uh, Verse 22. For this reason, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flame of the fire slew those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So in other words, the guys that carried them up and threw them in died from the intense heat. That's how that's how hot this thing was. And if you again, if you've ever been around any kind of heat like that, it's especially like uh, when they're working with metals and stuff. You know, if you ever see those refineries, you know they're open. Those refinery things are open because they need you know the cool air going through there. But you can feel the heat from those uh, refineries from a distance. Uh, let's see. 23, but these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace, blazing fire, still tied up. So they were tied up when they fell in. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and stood up in haste. In other words, he quickly stood up because he saw something. He responded and said to his high officials, Was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, Certainly, O king. He answered and said, Look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm, and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. What do we have here? Jesus. Why do you say that? Because like the son of God. Okay. But he doesn't know about Messiah. He doesn't know about any of this. But he's making a supernatural connection right he says this is like the son of the gods this is he's saying this is something that cannot be manifested naturally this is outside of my pay grade this is outside of right which is a supernatural uh thing going on here uh so he throws him in the furnace he had high regard for for these men but Nebuchadnezzar has to be concerned about what others would do if they defy his order, so he's got to throw them in there. And so now there's a fourth man in there. So Nebuchadnezzar had no knowledge of Christ, right? Yet he understood this event as supernatural. Now, if you were a believing Jew and you had this, and Messiah had not come yet, and you're looking at this, what does this tell you? And you have other scriptures, like you have Isaiah, you know, that talks about, you know, coming Messiah and all this. This is just another little piece to this. Because, again, you don't have the scripture yet. In John 1, it says in the beginning was God, uh, and with God was the Word, and the Word was God, and then the Word became flesh and tabernacle. You know, that explains Jesus was in the beginning. And so now here you have... Christ in the middle of this uh, thing where these men are now loose, their clothes are not singed, they're not burned and, and Nebuchadnezzar recognizes this is, this is a supernatural event this fourth person is like the son of the gods and so it's small g because he's not acknowledging Yahweh because he's acknowledging gods yes is he putting um, isn't the word gods in the plural because that's what their belie- the religions believe in God. Yeah, because nothing to do with the Trinity. 
Yeah, nothing to do with the Trinity, that they didn't understand Trinity. They, you did not have monotheism, one God, until Christ, until in the New Testament. Well, no, no, I'm sorry, take that back. You don't have the concept of one God except in the Old Testament with the Jews. We have one God, hero is Israel, for the Lord our God is one. So that's monotheism. But everybody else had multiple gods, but not in the sense of one God, three in one. It was the moon God, the sun God, the, all the different gods. It was like um, it was like the Romans, you know, Mars, the god of war. Jupiter, the god of whatever, Venus, the god of love. They had all these different things. So things, again, things that they couldn't understand, they turned into a god. So they would have the gods, and then the king would be, they are the gods, and I sit with the gods. And, you know, even Roman Empire was like that. Because his title, Caesar's title was son of God. Would, would Jews, upon hearing of, uh, this narrative... Uh, think no, it's not the Messiah, but maybe an angel of the Lord. It could be an yeah, angel of the Lord, because that's the way it gets interpreted in the sense. Because they don't have yet the full understanding of Jesus per se, but everything that God does, it's God. It is a messenger, mm-hmm. and so in the beginning, Jesus was a messenger because it said, "Who are you really? When will you reveal yourself?" Because at first he was a teacher, he was a prophet, he was looked upon as a messenger, and then it was revealed, you know, he was the son of God, he is God. So, yeah, everything is a messenger, an angel of God. But he makes a point here, this is a human form, this is a man like the son of God. So there's no winged cherubim or anything like that. Okay? Any other thoughts there on that? So the fourth is like a son of the gods. So they weren't injured. Now, verse 26. 26 to 30. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire. He responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. Um, Hold that thought for a second. We'll finish it and then we'll go back to it. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the king's high officials gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on their bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their heads singed. You know, fire, you don't have to get, your hair doesn't have to get close to it. It can singe. Fire can be over here and your, and your hair will burn if it's hot enough. Uh, the hair was not singed, nor was their trousers damaged, nor any smell of fire even upon them. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God, now capital G, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel, remember he was talking about? Has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who put their trust in him, capital H, violating the king's command, and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap, inasmuch as there is no other god who was able to deliver in this way. Then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. Now there's a whole bunch of stuff in here. Nebuchadnezzar now says they are servants of the Most High God. This is a name of God. This is He's now acknowledging Yahweh. God of the Old Testament. And this term appears in Daniel 13 times, by the way. Most high God. That's, that's, that's the most you, will, you would hear of it, uh, except that term, except for in Psalms. And there's a lot more Psalms than there is in Daniel. But this term is, is 13 times it's, 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 it's given in, in Daniel. Most high God. In other words, most high God, there is no one higher, there is no one above. So there is a 
there is a recognition there. Uh, and so, in chapter 2, when Daniel interpreted the dream, Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged the greatness of Yahweh, but now he's acknowledging his deity, that he is God, now he's most high God. He says, your God is great, but now he's he goes to the point that now no no other gods can do what I just saw happen. So he acknowledges it, but yet he doesn't bow down. His his place isn't really. He he just says, okay, these guys got something going over here. Leave them alone because he understands he can't touch them. He's smart enough to realize he cannot touch them, so he's going to work out, to his credit, a working relationship with them. Right? Let nobody mess with them, and, and they're going to prosper. How does this translate to the church today? You know, realize you can't mess with us, so we're going to work out a working relationship with you, we're going to leave you alone, we're going to allow you to but you see, to do that, you have to stand up, right? Yeah. You have to make your position known. Even you mean even as far as the church is opening again, um, when they were saying, "No, churches cannot open yet," and a lot of the churches did open. Mm-hmm. See, that was part of my struggle early on because, okay, I got it, COVID. I'll go with this, but then you know, after I think it was less than two months, whatever it was, finally I said, "No, this." We were talking earlier. I was troubled. The whole thing troubled me. And it didn't trouble me the fact that people needed to protect themselves. I'm good with that. I understand that. That's like the flu or or whatever else is going on. But what troubled me was the idea of a government agency telling the church what to do. That's that's what troubled me. And so that's why I said, okay, I've got a decision to make here, and I, you know, called in, you know, the deacons, whoever, and I said, this is what I'm going to do, and yada, yada, but people want to stay home, and that's fine, I'm, I'm good with that, yada, yada, but I'm going to keep the church doors open, and whoever wants to come in, comes in, we're going to do the online thing for them, but it was, I had to wrestle with it, and so I had to wrestle, but at the same time, I had to align with God, that fueled my decision on that, and so um, that's where all that came from, but you know, Daniel's friends are promoted in all of this. There's a recognition. We don't know the collateral, how far the the ripples of this, because we don't know about those officials that saw this. We don't know whether they came to faith. We don't know what would happen there. We just know the bullet point of the story. But you you, you have to believe that people came to faith or people came to at least recognition that there is a God in heaven that is above these gods. They might not have understood. They might have just think, okay, this is another God, but this God can now overshadow these gods. But we still have these gods. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. But there has to be some sort of ripple wave effect here. But the fact that this story is here, now it's we have to take it and look at it in terms of what does it mean to me? What does it mean to my community, my church, the denomination? And so I put down here just thoughts for maybe we can talk here if we have anything, theological thoughts. In other words, what is God doing in this passage? Okay, what do we see God doing uh, based upon who God is? And what is the movement? In other words, when I say movement, how is God moving? Because God, we have to see God is moving. God is not stationary. God is always moving. So where is God moving towards? What is he moving from? Where is God going? Where is the, where is the current leading? You know, this is, this is theology. So in the bigger picture, what we just read, King gives a, a decree, builds a golden image 
in knowing that he was the head, now this whole image is, is him. He wants everybody to bow down to that, wants everybody to worship him at his command, even to the point that if they don't, it's into the furry, into the fiery furnace. And it's a pretty steadfast thing. It, it, it spreads out, this is who I am, I'm going to control with an iron fist, this is my kingdom, and then there's the element of fear, if you don't follow along, and then on, uh, here's the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that stand up with no fear and just say no. And say, if he throws in the furnace, fine, God will deliver us, and if he doesn't, we are still not going to follow you. Again, faith in action. So, What's God doing? What do you, how do you see God? What's what's so even in our individual lives, um, when we try to witness to someone, someone we may have known for a while or not, and um, you know, we've been getting along for a while, and then you witness to them, and it's like there's a wall right away. And they, um, they, um, let's say the, the phone calls, the visit, you know, they get, um, so it's like, at one point I was kind of sad and fearful I'm losing a friend or losing this person, um, and one person, as a matter of fact, came around one time, I'm challenging and I said, this is why I believe the way I do. This is what the Bible says. And so, you know, they, they're quiet. They don't say, they don't want to break totally with me. But you can see that maybe they're, they're, they're waiting me to come around. rather, than, And I'm waiting for them to come around. And um, it can be um, challenging to continue witnessing to the person mm-hmm. uh, knowing uh, how they feel and what they think of you and, and you know they want to make you look like you're crazy and things like that mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and they want to change uh, what the Bible says or I've heard this about Christians and this about Christians and it's just not what the Bible says and like when I stick to my guns they are Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I have to say to myself, okay, if that's the way they want it, at least I've told them. Right. And, and, and God's going to do what God's going to do. You know, you're, 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 I've said what I, what I needed to say, and, and I'll, I'll take the consequences of it. Maybe it means a break in fellowship. Maybe you no longer want to talk to me. Mm-hmm. You're in a sense throwing me into the into the into the fur, into the furnace. I'm no longer useful to you. Yes. Okay, I'll, I'll 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 take that if that's going to be the result. Yeah. But that's not going to change what I what I say just to keep you as a friend. Mm-hmm. You know. And you said you said something there. Think of it in terms of what there's there's a battle going on here. Who's who's fighting who? Huh? Who's who's fighting here? Who's who's the people are fighting God? Okay. Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is is in a sense challenging God, finding a way to maintain who he is without giving in to God. Which is what happens to a lot of people. How can I be saved without fully giving in? Right? And that's that's and then what happens is what if the church says, Okay, we'll accept that. Which they are. Which they are. Yes. So they accept it. We we're, we're doing stuff now, accepting stuff that we might not have accepted before. Why? Because we want to keep them in the pews. Okay. Are we called to keep them in the pews or are we called to keep them get them saved and make disciples? You know, in you know, he says, if they don't hear you, do what? The dust off your shoes, yeah. and go to the next house, because they're not always gonna. But the tension here 
is Yahweh in Nebuchadnezzar the same way the tension in Exodus was Yahweh and Pharaoh. Moses was just, these guys are just messengers. This is who we are. You know, the battle's flying over, over me. This is already set. This is, this is, God's already set this. He's, he's, I'm just following what he said. I'm not, I'm not directing any action. I'm not, I'm just a messenger here. I'm, this is just faith in action. I'm just following. I'm just believing. I'm just, based upon my conviction of who God is and what I see in Scripture, what God wants me to do, this is what I'm going to do. If the CDC doesn't like it or so-and-so doesn't like it, that the church is open, that's fine. That, that battle's flying over my head because I'm already convinced. Here. You know, and you know, you can't do anything to me because number one, I got the Constitution on my side. Can't do anything, number two, because I don't have a health permit. <laughs> so you can't take anything away from me because it doesn't apply. You know. I have a question. Um, <laughs> the churches that sort of comply with uh, going against the Bible to go, say, with some of the things the government is doing, um, and the word apostasy, does that have anything to do with... I think it does. Mm-hmm. I think it does. And I think it's, it's... Again, it goes with that, you know, you're going to acquire teachers for yourself that are going to say things that, that you want to hear, and, you know, and they're going to become lovers of self, you know, and they're going to move away you know, from God. You know, there's always a remnant that stays with God and God moves through that remnant. So, yeah, do I see apostasy? I, I see a huge, yeah. And so, again, that has to fuel part of my decision as a pastor and part of my decision as a, as a, as a, as a Christian. Where do I align? And what do I say? What do I allow? What what do I not allow? And do I do I keep my mouth shut? Because on one hand, if if I don't say anything, that's just as bad. It's, it's like someone said about the Holocaust. It only takes it only takes a few people to to do something wrong, but it takes a whole nation to allow it to happen. So, you know, people just look the other way for whatever reason. And then it got out of hand. And by the time it got out of hand, you, there was nothing you could do to, to ring it back in. It was already, like I said, trained already left the station. And so that's the danger. I see that the church, if the church doesn't speak up, if we don't want to, that, that train could leave the station. And then now, now what happens? I mean, the church will always be here. We win in the end, you know. But where are we in 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 that in that process? In in what are we doing for the next generation? Or what are we doing for those that come after us uh, to strengthen the church? You know. So. You know, in, what is uh, how is God showing himself here a couple ways I think he's uh, uh, honoring uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego's testimony Mm -hmm. and confirming uh, what they said uh, about him being able to save them out of the furnace, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and thus uh, saying, uh, telling Nebuchadnezzar, "Hey, you're not so hot." <laughs> yeah, Here, here's what the reality is: whether you've accepted it or not, this is where it goes to, where it's going to go. And so, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, in the back end of this, we're going to see as this plays out in the next couple of weeks that. You know, he's got choices to make here. He can either totally resist this, he can he can he can bow his knee, or he can try and coexist. 
So right now he's like the bumper sticker. He's trying to coexist. Right? And it's not going to work because Nebuchadnezzar doesn't have a heaven that can coexist. That's the problem with that. So, uh, you know, God is, God is moving. God's moving now in the direction of Messiah. God is moving now because Daniel is close to the almost the end of the age of, of the Old Testament. So he's the, the, the next books that are written are, are, are Ezra and Nehemiah, which close out the Old Testament. Uh, Zechariah is written, Malachi is written, uh, I think Hosea is written, but they're all in that general time frame of, of, of right at the end there. And, and then what ends there is that 450 years, 430 years until Christ is born. And so that's that's the direction now. I see someone that is now like the Son of God. You know, it's being revealed, the Son of God. Where this wouldn't maybe make as much sense or be as strong if it was in Genesis. Right? You know, it's where it is because of, of the strength that it makes. And then next week, there's going to be another, now not a dream, but a vision and King's going to need interpretation of the vision. So that's where we're going to be next week. And then we get to the lion's den. And that's a whole other another story there. So, thoughts, questions? So that's also what God is doing, being that he's all-powerful and everything. The king was making a display of what he could do, uh, lighting the fire seven years. Tons higher, but God was able to. Good point. You know, he he went as far as he could, (laughs) and it did nothing. Yes. So in other words, what do we learn? We can go as far as we can to try and challenge God, and it's it's just not going. You know, it's like those that say, "Oh, we found the end of the universe, or we figured this out, or there is no God." No, no, you've fallen so short. But who God is. So again, how is God revealing himself? Much past anything because... Okay, one, one other point, the, theologically. It has to be Christ in the furnace because they're defying creation. The only one that defies creation is God. Angels can't defy creation. So... Creation says, you burn up in that. But because he's there, he's not only defying creation that their lives are well, he's even the clothes that they wear. Yeah. And then the, the, the smoke doesn't even get on them. You know what it's like when you're around smoke? Mm-hmm. You know, the neighbor's barbecue gets on you, you know. And, and so... <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you have a smoker. And, uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, um, by the way, Diego's came out really good. Uh, so it's it's you know that again screams for it being not just an image of something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, only God can defy creation because God stands outside of creation, not bound by creation. So that's the theology in there. Thanks for bringing that point up. We need to make that point before we go. So. Only thing that got burned in the fire was the things that were binding the three of them. Yes, yeah. right, exactly. And the yeah. men that dropped them, they were burned too, right? Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, they were burned. And to his point was, the only thing that got burned up were the things that were binding them. <laughs> yeah, that's... that's, that's that's that would be a very good, right? Yeah. The only thing that burned up are the things that were binding them. So the only thing that gets burned up are the things that are trying to bind you. Yeah. Not you. You don't succumb. The things that are trying to bind you. Oh, that's good. Um, okay, let's pray. That's good. Praise God. Thank you, Father, for uh, being with us tonight. We thank you for Holy Spirit for bringing these things out about who our God is, bringing these things out about application and and 
bringing these things out about what it means to us individually and corporately and, and how it relates to the world we live in today, Lord, because when you said that your word is alive and active, Lord, it is so true that your word is alive, it is active today. This was uh, written, Lord, 26, 2700 years ago, but yet it, it rings so true today in our lives. And so, Father, we just thank you for this powerful, powerful word, this powerful demonstration of, of your ability uh, to overcome any situation no matter whatever it is, but also what it shows us about faith, what it shows us about uh, not willing to bend, what it shows us about trusting in you, Lord. So, Father, in this we just uh, give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise Amen. God. See you all next week.